I mean, it's the seventies outside, which usually is nice, good weather, right? Uh, but it's ninety percent humidity on top of that, uh, which just makes oh, me that's miserable. Just not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. So, do, have they? When is this latest storm meant to hit? Have they predicted? They right know, now they say it may uh, head toward Cuba, which I don't wish on the Cubans at all. Um, but that that would be a different direction, which would be toward the uh-huh. east. If that happens, we're safe. Um, uh-huh. But it, if it turns, which they, you know, hurricanes can turn. They yeah. have minds yeah. of their own. Um, then it could head head toward us. And it's uh-huh. all climate stuff because what happened was for all these years, except for rare exceptions. We were protected by the Gulf. The Gulf held the hurricane, and because Pacific Ocean is such cold water, it never came uh-huh. toward us. Well, it did on very rare occasions, but but now because of the heat domes that have popped all over the planet, and yeah. we have a major heat dome here in the West Coast, um, it warmed up the Pacific Ocean. To the point that it's like oh. a, a it's a welcoming place for the hurricanes, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I I'd like to say no vacancy, but, <laughs> but, but that was a joke. Oh, bad joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the joke. Just these, you know, the, the the climate issues that you just yeah, that's um because there's no coming back from that, is there? There's no well, we can't call the ocean now, can we? It's, no, there's no coming back. So, yeah, I just hope that it's not going to be like what happens on the East Coast, that, you know, you have a whole time of, from, like, July all the way to September. Sometimes on the East Coast, they go all the way to October. With their their hurricane season, Mm -hmm. is that what you, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I couldn't deal with that. You know, I, I lived through earthquakes. Fires, floods, uh, tornadoes. I don't need hurricanes, really. Uh, no, I think you think you've done your weather event time. I'm going to use the weather event phrase now because I think we, we have to use that blanket term. But, yes, that's, you don't need another major weather issue coming your way. Not at all. It's very difficult. And... I mean, they're scary hurricanes, especially if it's like a big one, like Cat Five or something. It's just terrifying. Yeah, and I suppose you know San Diego is not a city that's constructed for hurricane. We don't have any of the stuff. You know, um, I remember a story. This was about this. It was actually the same year that it hit California. There was a hurricane that was of the caliber of Sandy that hit the entire East Coast when my mom was a little girl in 1939. I mean, houses in Long Island went out into the ocean. Wow. And um, my mom was in Rhode Island with her mom and one of her brothers, and they went shopping. And at that time, they had, like, a a sandbag thing, but Uh they didn't have the wall, which protects Providence now, and the entire city of Providence went underwater, and my mom 
my grandmother and my uncle were to the post office, which was the only building in Providence at that time that was three stories. And that's where they were until the water receded enough to go home. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was one of my mom's first memories. She was a kid. She was like 36. She was about six. But she she remembered it clearly. I can, yeah, I bet she did. It's, you know, wow. Yeah, it was just that my first earthquake was when I was eight. I remember that clearly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Major, major, not little. I mean, Californians oh. don't think anything uh, under a four is a real earthquake. <laughs> right. So I think I think I heard someone say, you know, I don't get out of bed for anything less than a four. So yeah. Is that about right? That's about right. Okay. <laughs> uh, you tough mob. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, because it's not that big. It it yeah. basically make make your pictures go a little crooked and may knock stuff off of your your um, bookshelf or sure. something. But yeah. Nothing. So if you've been through a few of them, you, yeah, you know, you know where you're at with this. You okay, this is yeah, it's about. Okay, it's not bad. I'll just go back and I put things mm-hmm. where it's they fix the books and fix the pictures and go on with my life. And knowing you, you probably when you're doing that, you think, oh, I haven't read that one. Oh, I had that book. <laughs> Thank you, Earthquake. <laughs> yeah, I, I we were talking in the green room and I found that I I didn't know I had a book and. I was look. I was uh, ready to go out and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good excuse to check your bookshelves, uh, rearrange your titles, and dig out those old favourites. That, that's that's the um, the the hard and fast, die hard. I've been through earthquakes before. Rule for for Californians, is it? Yeah, uh, exactly. It's it's a good yeah. Although usually, and and uh, books don't actually fall actually off the shelves would be get a little misty but it won't fall sure. off the shelves unless it's like a five point over yeah okay so does that mean you are your shelves like super tidy you don't have like extra stacks on top of your oh like, no i cannot say that rid of it. no i cannot oh, say okay. that okay a woman after my own heart because that drives me nuts i'm not i i um i do have extra i have lots of extra <laughs> I well, and it's really funny. My brother has one bookcase full with his books, and I have two bookcases in the living room and one in my bedroom. And I still don't have enough room for all my books. No, no, you just need more bookcases. That's it. More shelves, more bookcases. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. Totally. Yeah, I have a, a a bookcase I inherited from my mother. That's the Glaston bookcase. That's where all my good stuff goes. Uh-huh. You know, uh, special yep. editions, first editions are really difficult to find paperbacks, and yep. they, that's where they all go. And then I have a, a blue bookcase that I've had for years that my parents actually uh, found for me and, and, and did a natural paint on it because it, it's like some kind of, it's not acrylic or something, it's a type of paint that breathes. So the okay. wood can breathe. I, I, my mom was really into wood being um, being able to breathe. Uh-huh. Um, so I have that bookshelf. That's the other bookshelf. That that's mostly um, <laughs> that's mostly photo albums of you know movie stars and uh, okay. yep. <laughs> autograph stuff. And and then there's um, my paperbacks and my my fantasy. And then 
The one in my room is, uh, <laughs> you're, you're not going to really believe this. Nope. It's all uh, my, it's my mysteries. My Agatha Christie, uh, my Dorothy Sayers, my Miss Fisher, you. Um, <laughs> they're, that's where, yeah, that's where they are. They're, they're, they're uh, in my room. So if, if the earthquake goes goes above that four level, which books are you grabbing? Are you grabbing the ones in your room or are you grabbing the ones in the in the, the first editions in the glass fronted cabinet? Which which ones come out the door with you? Um, after the cat, obviously. After well the cat. the cat is first and yep. making sure my brother is okay. Yeah. Um gosh. Because I have Agatha's in uh, my glass in case. Um, that are special editions and and stuff. But gosh, that's really hard. I have so many books that I would die if I lose them. Let me put it that way, okay? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like what baby? What baby <laughs> will I save? I mean, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I. It's just like um, I was boring people a couple of um, few weeks ago. I got a special edition of a book about magic by David Copperfield that I just okay. love. And it's signed. It's gorgeous. And I've been I was poring over it. Cause I, I I loved magic since I was a little girl. And everybody I was talking to I had to tell about I got this great book and it's really pretty and it's like I, all these things about every great magician you can think of and oh, I was like wow. I said I was probably boring everybody I was talking to but it's important to me yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but it's it, it is gorgeous it's a really beautiful book and apparently David Copperfield has a private museum in Las Vegas and only um, magicians and research of magic are allowed to go there because it has the answer of how a trick is. And, you know, oh. magicians don't give that stuff No, away. I thought you weren't meant to do that. No. Yeah, no. so, so it, it's, it's only people who are practitioners of magic can go to his museum. But he wanted right. to share it, so he wrote this book. And this is the way of sharing it with people who are interested in magic but aren't magicians. Okay. So you don't get the answers to the There's no answers to the tricks. No, 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 no. No. But it's it's just really, it's a very interesting book because it's about the influences of one magician, not just on each other, but on on the, the art of magic itself. Okay. You know... I mean, everybody knows Houdini, but there's a bunch of magicians I never heard of that he talks about. Yeah. Oh, how interesting! He's got wow. He's got everything practically of Houdini's. He's got all of the, 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 the tank for the upside uh-huh. down floating, and he's got the straight jacket for when he was upside down in a straight jacket. Yeah. <laughs> he's big on upside down. Um, but um, but it's it's really fascinating. Well, to me and anybody who's interesting and interested in magic, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Now I can imagine. 
But so uh, does that mean it's the Copperfield book that's the one that's coming with you? I don't know. It's I mean, yeah, it would be one of them. But it's in like it's in like I have also a folio of um of uh Shakespeare's life. Okay. A folio edition and I got a mm-hmm. folio of um the thirteen problems? Miss Marple. Is it thirteen problems? Yep. Thirteen yep. problems. I have the folio of thirteen problems. Um, I have a special edition of Murder on the Orient Express. I have a library first edition of um, Mrs. McGill. What Miss? What Mrs. McGillicut? No, Miss McGinty. McGinty? Is it McGinty? It's it's the one. Um, it's nine fifty from Paddington. It's the American version of it. Well, it's a part where Pyro with Mrs. McGinty's dead. So that's I it. That's, that's right. It. So, yeah, that's, yeah, That must be it. Yeah, that I have that, um, and I got that by accident. <laughs> I got that at a library book sale. <laughs> but I, right. I, okay, so that's worth worth having. So, so basically, what we're saying is that you need to have a suitcase or a uh-huh, box. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, at least a box very handy. to to put so, all this stuff so you, in it. You know, you don't have the sort of like the secret agent CSI grab bag, you know, of your clothes when you've got to rush out the door on a secret mission. You've got the suitcase or the box that you can throw all your, your literary treasures into um, and, and as you grab the cat under one arm and your brother picks up the case and you grab your brother under the other arm. And the cat. And that's how you, yeah, you've, got, you've already got the cat under one arm. Okay. Your brother's picking up the case that you've packed with all your books. And then you're hooking your your other arm, your free arm, the one without the cat, through your brother's arm, and you're all getting out together. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It it it's just it's it it, it, it I don't know. It, there there's other stuff too. I mean, think about what's precious to you. Uh, there's yeah. pictures of my 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 family. Um, there's um, pieces that I inherited of jewelry that my mom and my grandmother gave me. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's very personal, too. I mean, there's so many. Uh, I would have to have a. I'd have to have five boxes. I'm just. <laughs> I'm not a simple girl, you know. I'm not a spy. My name is not Michael Weston. <laughs> And I'm gonna. I'm thinking back now when we were talking about the 950 from Paddington, but that was Marple, wasn't it? Hercule Poirot was Mrs. McGinty's dead, but 950 from Paddington was Miss Marple, and that, so that would be Mrs. McGillicuddy. It was right? Mrs. McGillicuddy. McGillicuddy. Okay. There we go. Okay. Just, it was just. It was buzzing in the back of my brain as we were talking about talking about the other things. McGillicuddy. So there we go. We've got yeah. that one sorted. Yeah, Mrs. McGillicuddy. And you know yeah. why I hesitate. I don't know if you remember this, but in I Love Lucy, Lucy's maiden name was McGillicuddy, so I always worry that I'm mixing her up. Yes, yes, of course, yep. <laughs> like going to that little sort of character vortex in your brain, you think, wait, is that, oh, no, mm, it is, but is it? Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, thank you, Agatha and Lucy, for having names that are similar. <laughs> <laughs> of all the names, too, McGillicuddy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just really funny, isn't it? It's it's a very look. It's a very visual name, isn't it? It, it? Is. It, is, it, it makes you think of a particular sort of woman who is perhaps not going to be the 
nicest person to know. I don't know. She definitely sounds like a you know either she's she's a she's a widower a widow I think you know she's 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 a tough nut. Let's put it that way. She's she's not going to be a a flibberty gibbet. What's really funny about Lucy though was I don't know about Agatha. I think she used some names from her family and past too. Uh-huh. But uh, Lucy, if you. A lot of the character names in I Love Lucy, especially the ones that she worked with, uh, and especially her name, that came from her background. Um, the, her girlfriend's names, in, um, you know, the club that she always had, yeah. the card clubs, and, those were real names of real girlfriends from back home, Jamestown. Wow. And she was from Jamestown. Jamestown was where she was brought up, okay. Jamestown, New York. So all that stuff, in I Love Lucy, I think she did it so it would be more real to her. Yeah, that You know what sense. I mean? Um, that but, makes sense. You've, you've got to treat those characters right, though, then, don't you? You can't, can't sort of be too, have them turn out to be too mean or have anything horrible happen to them if they're actual people. But, yeah, I can understand that, that it, it makes makes the world, more, you know, more real to play in, yeah. Yeah, like uh, Marion Strong was a real person. All those, all those ladies that... She would have argument, temporary arguments uh-huh. with, except for Ethel. That was the, a name that came up yeah. from the um, the writers. But the names of the the girlfriends and her name, her maiden name, that was all Lucy. That she came up with all that. Such an incredible woman. She oh. was. I mean, it's really interesting because Lucy. Lizzie was a great actress. People don't realize it. If you see something like, um, what's the name of it? Something Street. She played a complete creep in it. But she was wonderful. It was Henry Fonda and her. And she actually becomes disabled. And she doesn't get any nicer just because she's disabled. Was that your, yours, mine, ours? No, 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 no. This was a serious no. drama, and was when she was younger. It was called the Big, okay. the Big Street. I think that was the name of it, the Big Street. This, okay, this no, was, I haven't, it, haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah, it's um, when they were talking to Lucy. I, I'm obsessed with Lucille Ball. I think you know that. Uh, I do know that. I do know that. And uh, they, I watch a lot of interviews with her. I, I actually remember Lucy when she was alive and doing some of these interviews. I, I remember when she went into the hospital and they said she was going to be fine and that she was going to come out the next day and she didn't. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember all that because um, I was a kid, but I remember it very clearly. It's just like Jack Benny, Jack Benny, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Catherine Hepburn. All these people were alive. Cary Grant. All these people were alive when I was a kid. They weren't just, you know, um, filmoid, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's easy to become so interested. And I, yeah. I, I watch, I watch an old, I, one of my favorite Dick Cavett, Dick Cavett is very much alive, Dick Cavett uh, talk shows with Catherine Hepburn. Uh-huh. It is the most fascinating interview I've ever seen. Because he starts from the very beginning. She wasn't sure she wanted to do the interview. Lauren Bacall asked her to um, talk to Dick. And Dick invited her for a tour of the studio. And uh, she looked around. She said, I hate the carpet. 
He goes, well, we'll have it pulled up, <laughs> you know, or we'll ha we'll cover it with something. Um, and you know, she she's like she's wearing sandals, slacks, and a man's style t uh, man style button down shirt, and that and her oh. hair was in a ponytail. And she said, let's do it. And she goes, they just, she goes, he goes now. And she said, it, this is all on film because he was filming her just to see how she moved and stuff. He wasn't gonna, yeah. he wasn't gonna release it. It was just for him and his crew and his writers to see how she talked and everything. Uh huh. And he, and she says, yeah, I'm here. Let's do it. And it was from that on. It was the mo I've never seen her more open. More talking about her life in such an open way. I've seen a lot of interviews with Catherine Hepburn, but that was one. It's just like there was a one with Lucy that was sort of similar, but it wasn't like that. It was there was um, a program for college students that um, are, were interested in getting into show business, and Lucy um, came to talk to them. And um, one of the morning shows, I can't remember which one, was there with her, and they were hosting it. It was a real Lucille Ball. It wasn't Lucy being funny or anything. Yeah. It was the real businesswoman, the real director, the real woman. And it was one of the most fascinating interviews because she was talking to these kids like she probably talked to the kids that – uh, she uh -huh. had a class at uh, at um, at Desi Lu where she taught uh, people. Robert Osborne was one of her students, you know, from TCM. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she talked to these kids, and, and they were at UCLA, um, and and uh, about uh, being an actor or a director or a producer or a writer in a real way, and really. Um, and sometimes you could see her old fashionist, like when uh, they were uh, asking her how she balanced being a mother and being a professional. And she goes, well, you're asking me means you're not sure if you want to do one or the other. Which one is it that you don't want to do? And wow. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> wow. You know? I mean, that's how direct she was. I mean, it was the real Lucille Ball. It wasn't Lucy. <laughs> sounds great. And the Catherine Hepburn interview sounds fabulous, too. I'm going to try and find both of these. They're both really, really interesting. Um, I, if I, uh, I will look them up and send them to you. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. Thank yeah. Because, yeah, I'm Good. a big Hepburn fan. I, I have a... I have a little character in my head that I've, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with her yet, and she—I think she's inspired by Hepburn because it's a sort of a 1940s sort of setting, and I, I just had this vision of a woman in a man suit in, the, in this setting. So, and that's got to be—it's got to be Hepburn, let's face it. So that—that's where that inspiration is coming from. So I'm kind of, yeah. She so, talks about her wedding dress. You wait till you hear that. It's really—it's okay. not a wedding dress you would expect any woman to wear. Even though she got married in the twenties, it's still not a wedding dress you would expect a woman to wear. Well, I've definitely got to say this interview now. Too. Yeah, it's just really, really interesting. And she talked about her for her husband. She only had one husband, um, and she really she loved him, but she wasn't in love with him. 
he was in love with her, and they were friends until the day he died. Wow. I mean, and he was still supportive of her career, even at, even after she left him for the career. He uh -huh. was, he, I mean, he was an incredible guy, if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it really, <laughs> those were two, I, you know, I'm obsessed with interviews. I just, just, not just because I do interviews, but... It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I think you know you never know what you're going to get, do you? You know, some people are some people are very good at controlling the interview and saying only what they want to say, but then also sometimes those are the very people who will let that little bit through because suddenly they decide, yeah, I want that out there, and so you just you know it's yeah it's always fascinating. It's just watching that interplay of people when you know the interviewer, you know that they're, they're trying to draw that little thread out. And um, yeah, and the other person how they you know how they're playing it. So I, I understand the dynamic is often just as fascinating as the words. I I don't think Lucy would ever have been like she was in that with that group of students as she would be like on Johnny Carson because I've seen her on Johnny Carson or on Merv Griffin or on Mike Douglas or uh -huh. Dinosaur or all the shows that he, she was on. She 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 always tried to uh, say that she was a uh, female and that she was you know she was motherly and she was she was uh -huh. she 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 denied the businesswoman part of her yeah and i think that's really interesting but i think if you think about when you know she was a teenager in the 1920s i mean come on you know uh -huh. she she came from a whole different era um so that that it's not surprising that you know men are men and women are women and, uh -huh. and you, women uh -huh. you 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 can't you if you're not a woman if you're not married blah 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 um <laughs> which I don't agree with but um but that's the error she was from but the thing was in this other interview that was her. It was much more her than in the big interviews that she did with the big interviewers. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I, mean? I think from the context you've given, it makes sense because she was, you know, in a way she wasn't being interviewed in that classic, you know, media sense. She was talking to these students. Mm -hmm. um, so whereas in, in another situation, you know, if she's on a television show or whatever, she's got to give the audience what they want, which, as you say, is that there's she's still this, you know. She's still the feminine woman who dream, no dreams of tying on an apron and, you know, blah, 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 as you said. Yeah. Um, but, and, and also, you know, in, as well as giving the audience what they want, you know, that there's a type of man who in that day and age would have been very threatened by a woman who was well and truly in control of her own career and running the show, you know. So it wasn't just about having the persona of that softer side. It was about... You know, making the men think that they are actually making the decisions when really they're not, which yeah. is a very, very good skill to have in and of itself. And the thing was, is that Desi and Lucy, despite their problems, had a lot of respect for each other and the yeah. abilities. And Desi, if it wasn't for Desi, there wouldn't have been an I Love Lucy. And Lucy no. was, the, is, was, until the day she died, was the first one to say that that Desi was the one who instigated it, and Desi was the one who. Uh, created Desi Lu, and he was he would go from his corporate office talking to the uh, studio and to the bankers and to all the production problems and stuff, and then go right in. He had his he had a 
he had ability to memorize the script and then go right in, do his part perfectly. <laughs> he hardly ever went up and wow. and played uh, Ricky, you know, and be funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's another thing is that they never really – he always said Lucy was the show, but if you watch the show, Ricky oh, was really yeah, funny. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting because I suppose he would have encountered a lot of racism in Hollywood at the time too, so they a very interesting um, power dynamic for the two of them presenting a front to Hollywood production studios of the woman and the non-American, as it were. You know, that, that it's where, where does that power sit for a, you know, a white male director in Hollywood at the time, you know? It's very interesting on that, too, is that um, Lucy and Desi fought. Lucy wanted to have her baby. She wanted uh -huh. Lucy Arnaz, and she wanted to have Desi Jr. That was what she wanted, more than anything. And he was a band leader, and he was going around the country, and as she said, in order to have a baby, you have to spend a little time together, or uh -huh. it's not going to happen. <laughs> And so when uh, they wanted to make her radio show My Favorite Wife into I Love Lucy, they wanted the guy who was in My Favorite Wife to play the husband. And she says, no, I want Desi. And he, they said, no, who's going to believe you're married to a Cuban? And uh. she goes, I am married to a Cuban. I've been married to him for 10 years. I'm very married. <laughs> Good on her. Yeah. That was Lucy fighting for that. That yeah, it, yeah. I mean, Desi didn't have any. Uh, he had done too many girls. He had done movies and stuff, but he did not have the um. The, the power. No, he didn't have, the he power didn't have that time. power. Yeah. yeah. She, it was Lucy who uh, gave him the power, and then they shared it. Um, although Amazing. she denied that a lot when she was doing her womanly thing. Of course, of course, yeah. But it really was a team. And and despite the problems and not speaking to each other and getting a divorce, after they remar both remarried, they were friends until Desi died. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they were a team. <laughs> That's true, yeah. You know, some, I mean, when the, the intensity of their working relationship, you know, sometimes you just need a bit more space. Mm -hmm. And you know, no, you know, you love someone, but you you just need a little bit more room. So, and, and both very strong personalities, so you can understand why they might have needed that little bit of extra distance. And you can't live with them, you know. You can't no, really. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. You, you love them, but you can't. I mean, how many mm -hmm. times, you know, when you were dating somebody that you had, you really were absolutely crazy about, but you could never see yourself marrying because. Oh, absolutely. Of, yeah. Yeah. I I mean any woman can have sympathy with Lucy. <laughs> Especially since Desi was a skirt chaser. Well, yeah, there is that. But it's like he said, he said where he came from that was normal. That that was that was Cuba. That was the Latin, the Latino man. Yeah. 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 Of of that era. Of so. that era, not now. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, um but it was it was I, I I read his book. It, I, he's so brilliant. He called his book a book. <laughs> ah. A book by Desi Arnaz. Um, it's like Johnny said, he couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> wow. 
But, um, yeah, I just think it's funny. Makes it easy to ask for in the bookshop, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I want a book by Jesse or yeah. <laughs> I just want a book. Ah. Ah. We, got, yeah. we just got it in. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was, I think it's a brilliant, I just saw a bookstore on a video that was in my ARCA called Come In. Isn't that a brilliant name for a bookstore? Come yeah. In Bookstore. Absolutely, yeah. Come in, come in, come in and buy my books. <laughs> Could have a slight, you know, oh, I don't know, crime sort of theme, potentially. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's maybe because that, it's that a... creepy, creepy psycho double thing going on there. I don't know. Just, oh, come on in. No, nothing, nothing to worry about. Come on in, let's book. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> I just thought it was a cool name. <laughs> it's a very cool name. It's just, there's so many ways you could spin it, Sherry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Especially if you're a mystery writer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the way my brain works sometimes. So. Um, speaking of writing, what's going on? Dad, tell me the scoop. What's going on? So I'm trying to think. Seven Sisters had come out when we last spoke, I think. Had it just come out or not come out? Which book? Seven, Seven Sisters. No, it was about. It was going oh to. You were. You were. You were at the final stages, but it hadn't come out on my show. Yes. Okay. So Seven Sisters came out in January of this year, and it's been doing really well. It's still doing very well. Um, and I. Oh, I think. I think I can say it's going to be coming out in America next year. Cool. So I, I think I can say that. I think I'm allowed to say it. So. Okay, I've said it now. It's too late. Um, well, it's almost next year now anyway, so I must be allowed to say it, mustn't I? So that's good. Um, very exciting. And then, uh, so I've been doing sort of, you know, various writers' festivals and events and things like that, working on the next book. And then also in May, I had a very different sort of book come out, um, published by the National Library of Australia, which Ooh. is called Australia's Dog. So that's a non-fiction book. And basically what I did was I spent a lot of time going through the photographic archives of our National Library and um, pulling out historical dog photographs sort of from you know the early days of photography in Australia, the 1870s I think was the earliest picture, through to the modern period um, and putting them together in a book and then writing some text to accompany it, which in many ways felt a bit superfluous because I, when I buy a book of dog pictures, I'm there to look at the book is a dog picture. Not necessarily read the text, <laughs> but there was a lot of interesting history, you know, in terms of um, the breeds that were developed in Australia, um, the huskies that we had on the Australian Antarctic Station, um, down in Antarctica, obviously, as, as the Americans did too, um, dingo, you know, and then just, just dogs in society. It was such a fascinating way to, to look at Australian history, you know, the history of, of, of towns and cities and rural life and Indigenous people through the eyes of, you know, having a dog in the picture because it's, you know, it takes the heat off the people when you stick a dog in the picture. So it was really interesting. Sounds it. I, I, I'm, I, you know, it takes forever for your books to come over here. Uh, it drives me crazy. You know how long I had to uh, wait for um, Just Murdered? Oh, yeah, that was a while, wasn't it? So yes. anyway. I, I wanted it's, it's, that book so badly, you don't know. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got it eventually. 
I did. I did. I was so happy to get it. Um, but I love your books, and I mean, but yeah, I want to get. I I saw the the Instagram stuff you did about the dogs, and I I want one, but it's not, <laughs> it's not available here yet. <laughs> no, no, and I, look, I'm not sure how it works at the National Library. What they do with with US availability, they're a, a different ball game entirely. As I'm sure you know, your own National Library, you know, they're very much focused on the local audience and things. So um, if it doesn't get there, let me know, and we'll we'll figure something out because oh, it was cool. um, it's so many cute pictures and I think it's you know it's so lovely when you you have those particularly some of the early ones where you have the very serious people and then there's just this cheesy dog that's you know snuck into the foreground or is you know not doing what it's supposed to be doing you're know, not sitting there looking as serious as the people and sometimes you know you can see that the people are actually you know they've got their lips pressed together very tightly they're trying to hold not to laugh up. yeah yeah so quite quite delightful and, and just you know just seeing the way dogs you know infiltrate life I think was quite lovely I just I love animals I think it's one of the fun things is that it just brings you a delight uh, that you, yeah. you when you have a pet um, it just there's a bond that you have Definitely. with your pet yeah. even if they're pain in the you know what <laughs> Speaking from experience there, Sherry, mm-hmm. the pie, pie up to mischief. Mm-hmm. My little pie, the way she goes <laughs> on, really, really. Yeah, she's a, she's wonderful. I love her. I adore her, but she is a pain. I think, you know what, I think our, our, our dogs and cats, our pets, one, one of the things that they all do is that they keep us humble. Mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. you, you know you can you can never get too big for your boots because your dog or your cat will always be there to remind you you know this is where the action is this is what's going on you know besides so. they run the household oh my goodness <laughs> yes they do you know I get my when my credit card bill comes in at the end of the month and I look at it and there might be like one thing for me for 50 bucks and then it'll be like premium dog food extra dog bed you know, new collar, new whatever, and then like just there's the racking up amount that goes to a ridiculous level because of all the the doggo things that are on there, and then there'll be one tiny little thing. It's probably like my health insurance will be my thing that's on there, and everything else is the dogs. So. Oh, don't forget the toys! Don't forget the toys! Oh my goodness, the toys! Yes, the toys, and and my my young dog at the moment, we're doing um, scent work and tracking, like human tracking. So you know, she had to have a new tracking line and. You know some some things for you know the so the two things she's doing scent work is like um, I guess the best way to describe it is like the the dogs in the postal or in customs you know going along a line of cases or boxes and finding the scent amongst all that and the other thing she's doing is having a person uh, go out and hide in in we'd say the forest the bush and finding the track and finding the person at the end of it so she's doing all this this stuff with learning to sniff and learning to follow and find different sorts of scents. So, you know, she needed, a, like, a new harness for that and tracking lines and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, that, so that's where that's where my, my money gets spent on the doggos. Yes, yes. And we we buy her particular food uh-huh. and yep. her favorites. And, you know, like any like any living thing, her favorites change. So yep. Sometimes we get stuck between changes. She gets of course, decides she doesn't like it anymore. She's decided she hates. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will. Um, I'm like, uh oh. I would feed her, yeah. and it would just sit there, and I go, oh no. 
Yeah. She's changed her mind again. And so can you can you ever circle back round like ultimately to a food that she loved before and has subsequently rejected or once it's been rejected is it is it gone for good? Um, I I don't know yet. We we we're still running through all the foods from her favorite brand, so um okay. I don't know yet. But she um cuz we usually give her variety. We we mm-hmm. usually have like she let's Let's put it this way. During the pandemic, she did not have to worry about being fed. We had plenty of food before we ever had to worry about running to the store. She, she, okay. She's well taken care of, <laughs> both dry and um, and canned. She's got everything she wants. So you, you were on two-minute noodles, but the place was stocked up with cat food for, for the duration of the, the pandemic. No, no, we had food for us, too. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying that, no, we just we didn't even have to go out and buy anything. Cause she, right. My brother has what he calls backup. <laughs> because but of our yeah. earthquake training. We always have we always have extra water. We always have okay. certain extra foods, and mm-hmm. so he has backup for her food. Perfect. Perfect. So she'll never starve. <laughs> um, does your dog have favorites, or? Uh, look, I have one fussy dog and one who is pretty content to eat whatever. But of course, that means she gets the premium food by default. And the fussy boy, he he can be a bit like that. He has his favourites, and he'll, you know, he he goes along and says, "I'm doing this, I'm doing this," and then you know, day, whatever, eight, you put it down. He's like, "I'm done." No, 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 not this again. No, and he just he has his face, you know, and he like he looks and stares in the bowl, and then looks back at you, and then stares in the bowl again, and then he sighs very heavily, and mm, yeah, so then you have to get it before the other one comes and muscles in and. Sometimes we have what we call the charcuterie board where, you know, you bring out three or four different things and he, you know, he runs his nose along them and decides what he fancies. So, yeah, that's it. But, and, you know, he's, he's, he, had a, he had a sensitive tummy when he was little and so that's why, you know, so we had to sort of have very special and very delicate things for him then. And so I think that's, that's and he's still, you still got to be a little bit wary of, of what, what he has. So I think that's where that's come from because he knows he can have the super premiums if he's, well, my tummy, I need the right stuff, my tummy. Aww. So he gets, he gets to pick and choose, but you know, he's a very special boy, so. I think that is so cute. I, animals are so funny because they know what they like. I mean. Oh my goodness. They yeah. have, they have very um, distinct taste that they this is what I want and this is what I don't want and come on mommy get that out absolutely absolutely <laughs> yep it's just just funny um do you have anything coming up you want to tell the audience about oh yes well um what are we just coming up to the start of October so late October um the last weekend is the Terror Australis uh Crime Readers and Writers Festival in Tasmania fabulous location so um, there's events that go on for several weeks with writers workshops and things but there's a key weekend of um, panels and things we've got Anne Cleves coming down for the festival which is very exciting yes yeah Um, so I'm I'm doing a couple of panels down there and then we have um, a week or so after that Bad Crime Sydney which is the Sydney Crime Writers Festival but um, Tasmania
Tasmania is going to be super exciting this year. I'm really looking forward to that. There's so many fabulous authors, and there's a there's a um, a murder mystery dinner on the Saturday night, which I haven't done one of those for a long time, um, which is based on a, a short story that Anne Cleves wrote. So we're we're having a, a murder mystery dinner party. So it's going to be a great great weekend all round, um, just out of Hobart. So looking forward to that one. Murder mystery writers at a murder mystery dinner. That must that's, that's going to be kind of fun, huh? Who's yeah. going to be the best of the murder mystery writers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a great weekend, I think, and a very interesting Saturday night. And just say, who's gonna solve the murder? Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I love it. I think that's adorable. Um, do you uh, do you have any news on the TV show for Alex? Well, not at the moment. Um, because of um, the SAG strikes and things, you know, that's impacting everybody. So things are, you know, which is a, it's a very important issue, um, fair wages and AI taking over the industry. Oh, yeah. So, but that, that sort of put, you know, put things a little bit on the back burner because obviously in Australia we have people who are in, in the Guild um, as well and no one, no, one wants to, no one wants to be the scabs either, you know. No. In Australia, we're we're, not, we're we're standing in solidarity, so things are cool at the moment. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully. We're still hoping for the future. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because I have I have other Alex stories buzzing in my head too, but I kind of like it. Feel it would feel like uh, it would feel like bad luck, I think, to to put let's say pen to paper, but start writing them and and bringing those stories to life when it kind of feels like we're in this weird limbo space. So. But yeah, there's there's definitely stories buzzing. I, it's just so strange that they're being so stubborn. The producers, I don't yeah. get it. Um, you know, AI really can't do a real script. I mean, it really can't. I mean, I've heard Alan Alda did a really interesting um, thing on his podcast with bots. Um, that he had uh, a bot write a script for MASH. Just like a little short scene. Yeah. And he and um, Michael, oh gosh, he played uh, BJ, I can't remember his name. Mike, oh. Mike Farrell, Mike Farrell. Yep, yep. Uh, played it out. But afterwards he explained, Mike goes, it was a pretty good script. And he goes, no, it, it was like, it wasn't the best. We kind of had to fix parts of it. Um, he he actually fixed it, you know, because Alan was a, is a great writer. And he yeah. says it, it's it, it they kind of get stuck. Um, it's not they're not as creative. They're not creative. They you know because they're they're taking from all the literature and stuff like that that's pumped into their system. But they don't really know how to put it together. So to say that, you know, we're going to have AI write your script, and then we're going to hire you as a day worker to fix it, is so insulting. Uh, especially after I saw that thing with Alan Alda, that I don't blame the writers for doing this strike. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's real. That's gosh, that's so insulting, isn't it? To yeah, we'll, we'll get it all written, and then you can just polish up the edges. Wow. Yeah, that's basically what the, that part of the strike is about. It's, they, yeah. uh, they're they they're basically denying them writer room, writing room. Yeah. 
uh, and how can you do that? <laughs> no, as you said, it's just incredible that, that the, the production and the management level have just, you know, stonewalled and dug their heels in. It's just... Well, I mean, the big shots in the studio, I understand, because all they think is of is money and they're, well. they're corporate and they're not creative. But the people that are... Uh, not the showrunners, of course. The showrunners are not the ones who are against it. Uh, uh, that are not, not. They're not the ones for it. Um, the the middle people, the people who run the local studios here in in Los Angeles uh-huh. and in Australia and all the other places. Why are they backing it up? You know, they yeah. know it's not going to work. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But when you have powerful people like the head of Disney and the head of Sony and all these people that are saying uh, no no we're not going to do that we're going to just use AI and we don't need the writers and the actors we can we can uh, scan them and then we ne- uh, once that that's done that's it and we never need the actor again I mean that's why the actors went on strike yeah isn't that, isn't that scary and you know, the idea that you could have an extra and then just replicate them over and over into different movies and different scenes and they'll never wow. work again no. I, I, that's a, an abomination. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm pro labor, obviously. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm in solidarity. Actually, I haven't watched um, any of the new seasons uh, shows in my solidarity. I've been watching old stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, it sounds strange. But that's my way of doing my solidarity. I well, yeah. Well, then you do what you can. But no, it's it's a really important issue, and it's it's something that you know if it's let go, it'll be you know it's going to be too late. Once it's once it's out there, and once it's really running, it'll be way too late to do anything about it. I know it's sad. Oh. And it's and and the thing is, they're trying to prevent a worse strike in the future. The writers and the yeah. actors are trying to prevent a worse strike in the future. You know, that's what they're doing yeah. right now. That's what they're standing for, is to, mm-hmm. to get a contract so nothing more horrible can happen later. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what it's all about. Um, I don't know. I just, I hope that they can figure it out and, and everybody comes to terms. I, I don't, I, I assume there's negotiators working with them. I hope so. Yeah, there must there must be there must be. There's got to be a lot more going on behind the scenes. With, yeah. Than than we know about. Yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a ex car carrying actor, so I'm definitely I I don't have my card anymore. But I mean, I do have my card, but it's not active anymore. Let me put it. Yeah. I still have the card. I would never give up my card, but it's not active anymore. <laughs> I get you. I get you. And you're doing, because you've got Sherry's Playhouse still going, isn't it? You're oh, yeah. working on something for that now? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I have a new one that's coming out tomorrow. It's called Never oh. Too Late. It's a play by Mary D. Brooks. And it's, um, yeah, it's on at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And it's got a great cast. And um, I, we it's it's got some... Interesting stuff that Australians will be interested because in, it's written by an Australian woman. Um, okay, yeah. It's about uh, marriage equality act in Australia, 
basically. Mm-hmm. That's what yep. it's about. And okay. it's it's got some interesting twists in it. That's all I'm going to tell you. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> it's sounded good already. It's sounded good. So, and tomorrow, so tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. It. It's really close. I mean, it's within 24 hours of right now, uh, my time. Um, well, and actually 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, 10 minutes from now. Uh, 24 hours from now ten, in 10 minutes. <laughs> So by, so by the time our podcast goes to air, it will already be up and, and out there. Uh, oh, yeah. It's going to be by the time, because uh, you're probably going to be in a few weeks, so it's going to be yeah, yeah, yeah. out there. But, yeah, it's it, I, it's it's such a good play. We worked really hard on it, and um, I directed it. And, yeah, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of, actually, my playhouse. Congratulations. That's really good. That's so exciting. Thank you, thank you. We actually have a really cool one that's coming up after. We're in rehearsal for it. It's um, uh-huh. we're doing an adaptation of um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Oh wow! Yeah, How cool. And hopefully, it'll be ready in time for Halloween. Perfect. Mhm. Um. But, yeah, it's been adapted by a man named Everett Robert, who's an actor and a writer and a playwright Mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. And I'm directing that one, too. Okay. Because you you do like up-and-coming playwrights, don't you? That's that's where you sit. Yeah. yeah, I like like it to be – I like it to be original. I don't – you know, the plays belong to the playwright. It doesn't belong to me. They're – being kind and generous, allowing us to produce it, but um, but it's um, and the actors are they're learning how to do voice work. Do you know how hard it is to get voiceover work in the U.S.? I don't know about other countries, but it's so hard to get voiceover work. So this is like a good thing to do to have as a um, as a part of your audition. To show, hey, look, I've, okay, done, yeah. I've done all these plays. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> to you know, because it's really hard. It's very competitive. It's actually more competitive to do voiceover work than uh, act, regular acting work sometimes. Really? Wow! Because I that. because movie stars and TV stars are doing it, so you're competing oh. with people who are established, uh, sure. multi-award winning people. Um, it's just like um, uh, people who do books uh, on uh-huh. audio. Um, I mean, you know, they have David Suchet and Hugh Fraser doing all of the um, Perros and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, how do you fight that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, you know, when, when we do an audio book like for Seven Sisters or the, the Alex Clayton's, you know, and I, I get sent, you know, it comes down to the, the audio people, but you get sent three or four files of, you know, clips of the the people that they have shortlisted reading part of the book. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can sort of say straight away, you think, oh, yeah, that person. And sometimes you're like, ah. Oh. But I usually, I go and I find, like, I find the person's, you know, agency page or whatever, and I listen to other bits because the bit that they give you is such a such a short reading and, uh, you know, it's it's hard to kind of get your head around how it's going to play out in, in the bigger picture. So reading, 
listening to them read different things and doing different pieces and if they're an actor you know finding a little scene that they're in or something like that you know just hearing their voice in different, and I think also it's because it's the audition piece too isn't it and sometimes that can come up come across very differently to someone than once they're kind of in the groove and they, you know they're comfortable with the situation so it's always interesting though to hear the way different different voices especially when, when it's your own characters you know because I have very clear ideas in my head of what my characters are like and how they sound and how they move and how they act. So I really have to, I, it takes me ages to kind of get my head into someone else being that character, if that makes I, sense. I know, it's like, well, uh, for Fantasy Time Inc., I, I, I looked really hard till I found the right person. But uh, for my memoir, I, they wanted me to do it, but I just, I was going through one of the periods when I was having problems with my throat and stuff, and I couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't laugh, but one of the things I was looking for is a similarity in the actor's voice to my voice. Mm-hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. I completely get that. It, it, I, not, I mean, they full credit to the actor. I'm not that it, it says the actor's name and everything. I'm just saying because it's my memoir, and people yeah. who actually know me who buy the audio. It probably would disturb them if it had like a strong regional accent of some type, sure, uh, and yeah. not mine. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah, that's why. I mean, it's like you know we we're, we're talking about you know the Alex Clayton going to TV, and people said, "Oh, who would you want to play Alex Clayton?" And I was like, "I can't, I can't tell you that because I have Alex so clearly in my head and what she looks like and how she sounds and how she moves. You'll have to tell me, you know, who you want to cast as Alex, and then I can go, okay, you can do that." Because I, I could not point to someone and say that you know that actress is Alex Clayton because she's she's an individual in my head. It's sort of like what Carrie Greenwood was saying about um, uh, casting Essie and mm. um, Miss Fisher. They went through a lot of actors. Yeah. yeah. And as she said, um, when she saw Essie before she even opened her mouth, she said, "That's her. I want her." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, and a very good she choice knew. she was. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, and thank God she's such a wonderful, fantastic actress. Yes, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it clicked for Carrie, and I'm sure yeah. with you, when you see the right person, the person who wants you want for Alex will click for you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's it's really important that it's close to what you see the character as. I think so. Yeah, I think it, it does. It, it does matter, you know, you can't, on, on one level, you know, you sort of, you surrender control of the character to the production company and what have you, but um, I think the nice thing is that the people I'm working with are very, they aren't, they get Alex, you know, they get who she is as a person, which matters a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it when, we, when and if we get to that point, I think, it, you know, as you say, it'll all kind of come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important. Yeah. Um, we're coming to the end. Um so you have the uh, the mystery thing. Do you have any um, signings or anything else that is coming up that it, it should be something in, like, October that you would uh, like people to come to or anything after October? Oh, it's, look, it's fairly laid back. I'm, I'm doing a couple of library things for the dog book, but, you know, as we, as we sort of get closer to Christmas. But I'm in that sort of weird space between, you know, the 
last book, Quieting Down, and the new book, which I've just been working on, which is with my agent at the moment, so kind of grooving on with that. So no, it's it's a fairly it's a nice it's just a nice kind of cruisy space because it means that I'm I'm in my writing head space at the moment, so it's a good place to be. Oh, I like that. That sounds fun. Um, do you have? I I don't remember. If, do you have a website? I do. Yes, KatherineKovacic.com. Oh, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you spell your last name for those people who? Yes, it is K O V for Victor, A C for Cat. And what's your social media? I know it, but give it to them. Okay, so yes, Instagram. <laughs> oh gosh, I can't even think. It's Catherine Kovacic, very easy. Um, Twitter is Kathkov1, K-A-T-H-K-O-V-1. And Facebook, Catherine Kovacic. So, That's great. I'm, I'm very findable. You're very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate your time. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I love it, Sherry. It's always great chatting with you. We tend to go off on a lot of tangents, but that's what makes it so fun, I think. I know, I know, I know. We, both, <laughs> we just have fun. That's basically what we did for an hour. <laughs> thank you very much. Pleasure. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.